This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everyone, to Charlotte Sports Park in Port Charlotte. It is countdown to opening day as we count down until the April the 3rd opener for the Rays against the Toronto Blue Jays. Remember, it's a Sunday opener this year. The Rays and Toronto. With Dave Wills, I'm Andy Freed, and Neil Solons will be joining us as well as we get set for uh, the show tonight. Dave, we saw some baseball today. We saw some baseball yesterday. Today went a little bit better than yesterday. It, it did, and uh, it started with, uh, well, Corey Dickerson, a guy that uh, we had heard how well he can hit and how far he can hit, and he proved it today. First time up, a little pop-up, and then the second time up, it didn't even sound like a home run off the bat. It had kind of a hollow sound to it, but we've heard those stories. I mean, and talking to Kevin Cash and also Derek Shelton during BP at Tropicana Field this winter, they said that he'll hit a ball and he'll have an incredible backspin on it, and next thing you know, what you thought might have been a fly ball to right field or center is a home run, and that was the case today. The ball just kept on carrying and then carrying and then rolling. As a matter of fact, Rick Vaughn of the Rays uh, Communications Department uh, went out to find out where that ball stopped rolling today after it hit on top of the roof of the offices, and after it was done rolling, 569 feet is where that ball stopped uh, rolling from home plate. So impressive power. And, again, when you look at some of the other news, uh, news and notes uh, from that game today, uh, we'll talk with Brad Miller here in a little while. Brad had a nice day both in the field and uh, also at the plate. He had a couple of hits and a run batted in, scored a run in the leadoff spot. Desmond Jennings continues to swing the bat uh, very, very well during the month of March. Again, we talked about this a little bit last week. When you started to peruse the stats from last spring, Desmond Jennings was near or at the top of the charts in almost every one of the offensive categories last spring, and then unfortunately he hurt his knee early on in the season and was never really the same guy. And then uh, up and down the lineup, too, uh, you know, another couple of guys with some uh, two hits. Uh, you know, Jeff Decker had a two-hit day. He had some big hits from uh, Brandon Geyer and Steve Pearson. So, you know, the offense kicked in a little bit today that didn't kick in yesterday uh, when the Rays had a little trouble against the Washington Nationals. But, uh, and, you know, again, it's just two games. It's about getting your work in. The Rays were able to look at a lot of guys. And on the pitching front, the starters in each of the first two games, very, very impressive. Yesterday, Jake Odorizzi was very good in his one inning. Threw only, what, about eight pitches in that inning and was very, very efficient. And then today, Erasmo left the field smiling. What new after a couple of solid innings for him as well? And Matt Andres as well looked very good today in a relief role for the Rays. And I think both of those guys, by the time the season ends and we're looking at the stat page, we'll probably see starts and relief outings for both of them this year. They are going to help fill out a rotation that is looking very, very good. And I think in some ways the envy of many of the other teams in the American League, but I want the American League East. But I want to touch on one other thing about that Corey Dickerson home run. The question that he's had to answer over and over at the early part, or really since the the trade and in the early part of spring training, is well, what about the fact that you're not in Coors Field anymore? It makes me wonder how far that would have gone if we were in Coors Field. That proved to me today that I think that ends that the guy has power. It doesn't really matter what ballpark he's playing. No, he has very, very impressive power. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And that ball, again, uh, was uh, not even squared up, and it went that far. So. Very, very pleased with what we saw out of him. Again, uh, you're going to be looking at some average, though, too. A guy that hit in the 300s while he was with the Rockies when healthy. And, you know, uh, a couple of things, though, too. Uh, yesterday was our first chance to see Blake Snell. And uh, while he got uh, dinged up a little bit, uh, left the changeup out over the plate, found out that uh, when you do that in the big leagues, it's going to go a long way. Scott Sizemore hit one off the batter's eye 
here yesterday for the Nationals. But, uh, you know, again, Taylor Gray was kind of nicked up a little bit too, a couple of plays that weren't made behind him that might have helped him out. And then today uh, the, the young uh, you know, uh, Jamie uh, Schultz came out, and uh, I know he's Neil's favorite. Neil's, Neil's favorite, uh, Neil likes those five foot ten relievers. But, uh, you know, he, he said that uh, keep an eye on this guy, and he, he was able to come out and put together a solid inning relief today as well. We had three of those in a row, those five ten relievers. Jamie Schultz, Steve Geltz got a chance to make his Grapefruit League debut. Danny Farquhar, who we got a chance to see. We're becoming Mariners East here with uh, many guys, including Logan Morrison, the guy we'll talk to later, uh, Brad Miller, and Farquhar also. And Nick Franklin was into the game today as well for the Rays. And let's not forget, Erasmo Ramirez was, was out there also. So we've seen lots of guys that come from that part. But overall, I, and I, I say this with, uh, with caution, you can't get too caught up in what guys really do production-wise on the field in spring training. Dave, you've heard me say now for 12 years, every year I get fooled about who has a good spring training, who has a bad spring training. But when the bell rings April 3rd, it really is all different. Spring crushes can fool you come uh, June, no doubt about it. So you got to be careful of those spring crushes. They might work in high school. They might work in college. Uh, but they're not going to work in the big league level because spring crushes have a tendency to fool you, as you said. And uh, so, you know, again, just kind of get the guys the work that they need to get in. And, uh, you know, right now Kevin is just wanting to get the guys in there, play a couple of games. Uh, Desmond played back-to-back games. I expect him to probably have the day off tomorrow. And then, you know, we've had a chance to get get a look-see at almost every guy now that's supposed to play. I'm anxious, again, to get Steven Souza Jr. out there. I think, you know, yesterday, uh, last year I thought it was kind of a uh, – a season where I don't want to call it a lost season for him because he was able to get acclimated to some new teammates and play several games here. But I was really kind of hoping that Steven Souza Jr. was going to, by the end of the year, really kind of settle in and, and, and start to look like the guy that a lot of people saw at AAA for the Washington Nationals a couple of years ago. But because of the various injuries, it didn't work out. And then, lo and behold, he goes out and hurts his side right before spring training gets started here. So anxious to see him get on the field and start to show some consistency. But, you know, James Loney has looked good at times. Uh, watching him swing the bat. Looks thinner, looks a, a lot more uh, quicker around the bag than he did uh, toward the end of last season as well. So there, there's a lot of nice things going on around Rays camp. There's a positive buzz. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But with that also being said, it is only March the 3rd, and uh, there's still a lot of spring training to go, and we'll see how that all plays out. But, again, we are outside near the Tiki Hut. We're going to be doing this now after Thursday home games. Uh, a few moments, uh, you know, again, after games on Thursday, we'll be broadcasting our show from there. Uh, today we had a chance to talk with Brad Miller for just a little bit. We'll have Brad on uh, in, in just a little while, and then we'll also have live from out here uh, joining us in a couple of moments a couple of coaches from the Ray staff who are kind of the behind-the-scenes guys. You don't really hear about them all that much, but they are very, very important with what goes on with the Rays. Stan Borowski, the bullpen coach, who also handles a lot of the pitching uh, 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 saber metrics and the numbers and the scouting reports. And then we'll also be visiting with Jamie Nelson, who works with the hitters in addition with Derek Shelton, but also works with our catchers. Uh, you know, again, two big pieces of the puzzle as far as the coaching staff is concerned, but guys that you really don't talk to or see all that much when it comes to a TV or radio, for that, that matter. Right. We get a chance to talk to them a lot behind the scenes, and today we'll get a chance to have them both as they make their way out here after the 10-3 win today for the Rays over the Orioles. Rays baseball is back for 2016. Single-game tickets are now on sale. Don't miss your chance to be a part of the Rays' 11th straight sellout for opening day. Visit RaysBaseball.com or call 888-FAN-RAYS-RAYS-UP. There are 31 days until opening day, Sunday, April the 3rd, for the Rays against the Toronto Blue Jays. It's a 4 o'clock start at Tropicana Field, and we're talking about it here. We're counting down to opening day. I'm Andy Freed along with Dave Wills. When we come back, we'll hear from Brad Miller and later on Jamie Nelson and Stan Borowski for the Rays coaching staff. Back in a moment to talk some more Rays baseball on 620 WDAE and the Rays radio network.
Welcome back to the Countdown to Opening Day show. We're broadcasting near the Tiki Hut here at Charlotte Sports Park with Andy Freedom, Dave Wills. And just a reminder, with the Rays' new Big 22 plan, you can get tickets to the biggest games, matchups, and giveaways, and access to the new Rays' rewards points program for season ticket holders, all while saving up to $140. Call 888-FAN-RAYS or visit RaysBaseball.com today. Raise up. And along with Dave Wills, I'm Andy Freed. He just said that, but why not reiterate it? We are counting down to opening day, April the 3rd, against the Toronto Blue Jays, a 4 o'clock game at Tropicana Field. And here in spring training, it was a very good day for the Rays against the Baltimore Orioles, especially for the boys that uh, scored nine quick runs against the Orioles. And part of it right in the mix was the man that hit leadoff today, maybe leadoff during the season, we don't know yet, played shortstop Brad Miller. Welcome home, because you are an Orlando kid. And when you heard about that you were going to be able to come home, what was your initial reaction? Obviously excited. Um, it, it definitely snuck up on me a little bit, you know, just kind of you're in the off season mode, you know, you're kind of um, relaxing to get ready to, to get back at it. And uh, yeah, it, it came and I was I was pretty excited. Um, obviously, playing a little closer to home than Seattle. Um, but you know, among other things, just really excited to be down here. And it's been an awesome start to camp. You know, again, I know that uh, you have a, a little familiarity with the area, having grown up in Orlando, but uh, some familiarity maybe with a couple of the players too. Richie Schaefer, a guy you played uh, college ball with, but is that the biggest upheaval? You you make relationships with a few guys, and um, we're not quite uh, Seattle Southeast. We do have Danny Farquhar and also Nick Franklin, but uh, is that the biggest upheaval for a guy who's been drafted and developed in one organization from the first time you get moved? Yeah, I, I, obviously, I just know from this experience, and, and you build some strong relationships. You know, I had guys that I played with at every level, low A, high A, all the way up, um, guys that I, you know, forged some some strong bonds with, and, you know, now we're on different teams. You know, I've been, obviously, you know, staying in touch with them, and it is it is different, but obviously, I, I'm excited to just make some new relationships here, and, and um, you know, obviously, I know Richie and Mikey Ma took, and, and some of the guys that came over from Seattle with me, so... Um, you know, a lot of excitement, you know, everybody's getting to know each other. Everybody's been really welcoming, but definitely, I think, you know, obviously when you, when you move teams and you're so invested everywhere you go, the biggest thing for me was, you know, just, um, you know, you you had some, some good guys and some good staff there. So, you know, but I'm excited to, to make those new relationships here. Tell us about the team in college that you played on with Richie Schaefer at Clemson. You guys were very good, won a lot of games, obviously a bunch of guys drafted, had major league players, professional players. What was that team like? When I mentioned your, your time with him, what stands out? Yeah. It was so much fun. You know, I think, um, you know, getting to, to play in college, you know, and at, a, at a school like Clemson that they really have a lot of pride in their baseball program was it was amazing. You know, obviously some of our, our best friends, um, Richie just had uh, his wedding in January and there was, you know, eight or nine of us that all played together in his wedding party. So um, it was special, you know, and there's a lot of guys still doing really well. Um, you know, we were able to go to Omaha, which is, you know, every college baseball player's dream. Fortunately, Christian Walker for the Orioles today, they, they beat us out there. Another team that was pretty loaded with Jackie Bradley and Sam Dyson and, and Christian. So, um, you know, that, that's what you want to do in college, though. You want those experiences. Go out to Omaha, and it was everything we could have asked for. But, um, yeah, we, we were able to, to have some good teams, and, and obviously we're all still pretty close to this day. 
Visiting with Brad Miller here on our Countdown to Opening Day show, again with Andy on Dave as we uh, are bringing it to you live from outside the Tiki Hut here at Charlotte Sports Park. And, uh, Brad, let's hit the rewind button even a little further. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Chet Lemon was one of my early favorites as a player for the Chicago White Sox before he then moved on to the Detroit Tigers and really became a very, very good player and a World Series champion. You worked with him a little bit uh, back in your days in Orlando. What did he teach you? And I know that, uh, you know, in talking or seeing some of the articles that uh, he really held you in high regard, but what was it like to work with a guy who had been there and done that? And did he kind of give you a little prodding and pushing to to what you needed to get done to maybe get to this level? Oh, no question. Um, I joined his juice travel program when I was a sophomore in high school, and honestly, I wasn't very good. You know, I was not not ready for that level, and, um, you know, he brought me in and made me feel like I was, you know, so... I mean, Coach Chet taught me everything. You know, how, the way I play now, you know, even with the stirrups, I mean, that's what we did. We all wore stirrups, and we all, you know, we played hard. We, we ran after it. We weren't afraid to swing, and, and we were aggressive. And everything, you know, kind of comes from Coach Chet. You know, it was just a, it was just a uh, kind of a lifestyle, you know, how we played, you know. And we always won, you know, and that was, that was huge. You know, he taught us how to win baseball games, not necessarily show well in showcases or stuff like that. He taught us how to practice and how to win, so – um, he actually got to see me play at the Trop a couple years ago with Seattle, and that was always that was pretty special. So um, hopefully he can he can now catch some more games. But yeah, he was huge influence. Yeah, that really surprises me. Every time I hear a player say what you just said, that back then I wasn't that good. You always think that the major league player was the superstar everywhere, and it was an easy road and and that sort of thing. But that he helped build confidence in you. What did he do? to help build confidence. The ability was there. Maybe he even knew it before you knew it. What does he do on a day-to-day basis to build confidence in such a young kid? I think that's why coaches can be so influential, you know, or even other teammates. You know, you can always help raise up your other teammates. But um, for me, you know, he threw me right in the mix. You know, I was playing with guys that were a couple years older than me that were that were going to school and had been drafted. And, you know, I was in over my head, I thought, you know, but he, he had confidence. He threw me right in the mix. You know, he let me go out there and play always encouraged me and and the big thing was he taught me how to practice I mean we worked hard you know we we weren't just going to show up and play a tournament you know we I remember driving out to Eustis you know our our drive on a, on Wednesday nights you know driving out to practice every week so um, it was well worth it you know because we put in the work to you know to get better what should Rays fans expect from Brad Miller? I mean, again, reading up some of the things that we have here to prep for this interview, uh, you know, the, the stirrups, the, the, hard, the hard-nosed kind of player, the guy that's not afraid to get dirty. But uh, if you were to give yourself a little bit of a scouting report for the fans and what they should expect from you, what, what, what should they be looking for when they see you at Tropicana Field and uh, during the regular season once it starts April 3rd? Well, I think, you know, mainly my focus, I, I try to go out there and be a spark, you know, to, to have high energy, you know, to be positive around my teammates and, and have fun. And, you know, I hope that people, when they watch us play and they, and they see me, they, they know I'm enjoying myself out there. So, um, you know, I, I look at a couple guys we have currently, you know, a guy like Kevin Kiermeyer, a guy like Logan Forsyth. I mean, these guys come every day ready to play, leaving it all out there. I mean, I love – watching KK run around and, and play, you know, play hard like he does. So I think, you know, if we get a team of, you know, guys with positive energy like that, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It's so funny, this franchise is entering its 19th year as, as a big league team, and we're old enough now to have guys that went there as kids at Tropicana Field to now be able to play on that field. And you're one of those guys. You saw Ben Zobra's first home run, uh, and 
then you got a chance to play with him, against him, yep. really, on the same field. I mean, what could it mean to you? What does it mean to you to be able to – I can only imagine as a kid to be able to yeah. play on the, on the field that I grew up watching. I think, you know, the, the thing that gets me and the thing that, you know, I really harp on there is just I remember when I was watching him, you know, I was probably a freshman in high school – you know, I just I wanted to be there. You know, I wanted to do what he was doing and what those guys on the field were doing, you know, and and whether I realized it or not, you know, I didn't go home and write it down or, you know, say anything. I just knew I'm like, OK, I that's what I want to work towards, you know. So that's why it was always fun going to games as as a as a kid is, you know, you you see these guys out there and you, they're your heroes, you know, and they're doing what you dream of. So um, to then get to, you know, play, I think with him, you know, it, it obviously hits home because I remember something, you know, specific about him, but, you know, anytime we, we step on the field, I think we don't take it for granted, you know, that we're, we're living out our dream. Matter of fact, you and Ben with a little history on August 13th, 2013, while you're with Seattle, you let off the game against the Rays with a homer, hit one later against Chris Archer as well. And then Ben Zobris did the same thing. And the, uh, that, that feat had only been done. I think one other time you got to go back to the mid nineties when uh, Chuck Knobloch and Tony Phillips did it. I mean, that uh, a little history early on in your career. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. And, you know, it was kind of – it was a great game. You know, we kept going back and forth, um, two guys going at it. And, I and you know, I mean, it, it was my first game back home in the trap. So, I remember, you know, I have some really, really good memories there. All my friends, you know, coming to the game and screaming for me and stuff. So, yeah, it's always – I've always loved playing at the trap. Um, you know, now I'm glad that it's my home. So it'll be it'll be fun. Now you, we've seen you mostly as a shortstop, but last year you did move into the outfield a little bit uh, with the Seattle Mariners. But you've also played some third base, some second base. But do, does shortstop feel like home to you? It is home. You know, I, I I'm a shortstop, and you know, last year I obviously was was uh, had to move around a little bit. And you know, you're you're a professional and you go out. But shortstop's all I've ever played. Um, you know, it's where I'm passionate about and it's, you know, where I work to, you know, to, to get to. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm excited that the Rays believe in me as a shortstop because that's uh, how I feel strongly about it, too. Also, we, we've, we've used the word home a lot here in this interview. And again, we're visiting with Brad Miller, who's from Windermere over there in the Orlando area. Not too far from Ken Griffey Jr., we're told, and a few other guys that uh, have played in the big leagues and maybe even golfed a little bit uh, down the line. But uh, with that being said, you know, reading again on, on some of your bio information, your mom was a big influence and a big part of your, uh, you know, transcend, uh, moving on to the big leagues, uh, driving you all over the place when you were on those travel teams. Your dad played some college baseball and was a guy that coached you until you reached your teens. So how nice will it be? It is a little bit easier to get from Windermere over to Tropicana Field than it is out to Seattle. No question. Um, you know, I think I'm really lucky, you know, all the support I've had, you know, my parents do still, you know, they got, they've had to, they've been able to, you know, see me play a lot, shoot my debut. I called my parents at two in the morning back home, Florida time. And the next day they were in Seattle for a night game, you know, for my debut. So obviously just, just really lucky. I have all the support. And now, you know, it'll be cool not having all my friends, you know, fall asleep during my games or, or all that. So, um, you know, maybe everybody will be a little more rested around Windermere. So it'll be fun. And hopefully we'll keep them awake during the radio broadcast as well. Yeah. But uh, thank you very much for taking the time to join us, and uh, best of luck. We look forward to seeing you in a raised uniform this year. Awesome. Thank you. Look forward to seeing Brad Miller at about 4.10 on April the 3rd, taking the field at shortstop for the Rays and taking on the Toronto Blue Jays. The Rays are offering... 
New weekday specials all season long. Enjoy discounted hot dogs, kids' tickets, and many more weekday deals throughout the 2016 regular season. For more information, visit RaysBaseball.com slash specials or call 888-FAN-RAYS. Raise up. With Dave Wills, I'm Andy Freed. We're at the Tiki Hut at Charlotte Sports Park where the Rays played a terrific game against the Baltimore Orioles. And Grapefruit League game number two is in the books. We'll come back and talk a little more. It's Countdown to Opening Day on 620 WDAE and the Rays Radio Network. Welcome back to Countdown to Opening Day with Andy Freed. I'm Dave Wills. Again, we are broadcasting outside the Tiki Hut here at Charlotte Sports Park in Charlotte County, Florida, as the Rays uh, wrapped up a 10-3 win today over the Baltimore Orioles. And you can enjoy another Rays spring training right down here at Charlotte Sports Park by getting your spring training season tickets now. Get the best seats, biggest value, and an exclusive hat and T-shirt. Visit RaysBaseball.com slash Springer. Call 888-FAN-RAYS. Rays up. Again with Andy Freed, I'm Dave Wills. And now we are joined by a couple of coaches on the Rays uh, staff that uh, we really don't get a chance. I don't know why. It's maybe because the chatter boxes that are just uh, you know in front of you guys are guys that are kind of camera hogs and microphone hogs. That's Jim Hickey and Derek Delton. But uh, Stan Borowski and Jamie Nelson join us right now. And Stosh, please don't say I said any of that stuff about Jim Hickey because we know how shy he is around a camera and a microphone. Uh, yeah, he is, and our, our secret's safe. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's been known to uh, jump in front of a camera and uh, do a little talking from time to time. How far back do you go with Jim Hickey? I know it's at least to the Astros organization, but how long have you guys known each other? I've known Jim since 1991. Uh, my first coaching job in 1994 in the Gulf Coast League, Jim was the pitching coach, Bobby Ramos was the manager, and I was the hitting coach. And I've been on the field, not with him, but I've known him very well ever since. You know, it's funny because I've known of Jim Hickey since my high school days. He grew up just a few miles from me. But uh, then I saw him, uh, I think it was in Burlington, Iowa, for a little while. But going back and, and again, doing a little homework on Stan Borowski, it's funny how things kind of work out. You're a hitting coach, but now you're a bullpen coach. But when you were first drafted by the Milwaukee Brewers, you were drafted as a catcher. And then you kind of transitioned to pitcher. Take us through maybe your early years as a player and how it maybe led to you becoming a coach. Uh, I was drafted out of high school as a catcher, and um, I, I pitched all of my life. I was a pitcher shortstop. I caught for my American Legion team, and that's where a scout saw me. He was the only one that had any interest in me whatsoever, and he ended up drafting me on some raw tools. I never caught an inning in high school, but... What we eventually found out was I could throw sliders a lot better than I could hit sliders. <laughs> and that led to the transition to pitching. And I ended up pitching in the Kansas City organization for four years. That led to a shoulder surgery, which led to a scouting career. The scouting career, I lived in Kissimmee. Houston has a Gulf Coast League team in Kissimmee. In the summer of 94, they were lacking a coach. And since I lived right there, they asked me if I would be interested in coming onto the field just for the summertime. So for four seasons, I scouted the fall, winter, and spring in Florida. And in the summertime, I would go in uh, to the Gulf Coast League as a coach. But it sounds like you think of yourself more as a pitcher in your career than a catcher. Now, you, you were catching, you were sad, and the scouts saw you and were signed as a catcher. But I can't imagine uh, any better perspective than what you've had to do what you do right now, to be a bullpen coach, because you've caught it. You've hit it or tried to hit it, and you've pitched it. I mean, when you look back, maybe in some ways it was meant to be that you got those couple of years as a catcher. Uh, it certainly has worked out for the good. There's no question that the experience that I had, however brief it was as a professional catcher, has taught me a lot of things that, that transition to what I do now. It's really helped. 
He is uh, Stan Borowski. I'm Dave Wills with Andy Free. This is the Rays Countdown to Opening Day Show. And we do have another guest here. Jamie Nelson has been sitting patiently waiting for us to ask him a few questions. But, Jamie, on your business card, it says Major League Coach. But we know you work really uh, close with the catchers, but you also do some work with some of the hitters. I mean, it's kind of an all-inclusive kind of coaching position that uh, allows you to maybe dabble in a couple of different spots. But uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up here with the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, it's kind of ironic that we you have both of us here. I got drafted as a pitcher and converted into a catcher because my sliders caught too much of the plate. (laughs) Um, And they thought I could hit a little bit. And when I I was a short-arm pitcher, and so we said, uh, have you ever tried catching? I said, no. So I gave it a shot. It landed me in the big leagues, and then injuries kind of took a toll. And the next thing you know, uh, I landed here as a coach. Um, enjoy dabbling in all of it. I, 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 As a former catcher, you're very passionate about the way you call games, so you think you can help pitchers as well. Um, and um, it's parlayed into a really nice job. I, I always have, have come to learn over the course of a couple of decades doing this that coaches that really work with catchers are hard on catchers by design because the position is so uh, it's vital Uh, it's the only guy that really faces the entire field do you think that you're hard on the catchers I'm sure you're fair with the catchers but knowing where you where you came from do you think you have to be tough on catchers because catchers themselves have to be pretty tough well, I think so, and, and when I was doing the catching coordinating down below, I think I was a little harder. I, I mean, there's a lot more um, detail that you have to be at with these guys here at this level. You, you gave them a lot more respect because most of them have been doing it for a while. But um, absolutely, we're harder on our catchers because we expect a lot out of them. We expect them to get the best out of the pitcher every night, um, and that's their job in a nutshell. And when we don't feel like they're doing it, we have to sit out and have a little chat. Stan, there used to be the, the, the thought that maybe the easiest coaching position in baseball was the first base coach because they don't really do a whole lot. They just kind of stand there. I'm not going to say that. That was the old days. But uh, I know that, it's again, it's an all-inclusive kind of staff where you know Rocco handles some of the base running in the outfield play. Charlie does some certain things as third base coach. You've got Tom Foley as the bench coach. But maybe take us through the, the, the day in the life of a, of a bullpen coach slash uh, you know, again, assistant to the pitching coach. Uh, what, what do you do? I know you're, you're involved in the scouting reports and making sure that the pitchers and pitching meetings. Take us through some of maybe the day in the life of Stan Borowski as we get ready for a game at 7 o'clock at night. Uh, and, and some of my responsibilities include a lot of the advance work that we do going into series. I try to work uh, at least one series ahead on the reports that I type up for the starting pitcher and the catchers all, every day. They get a report, a little scouting sheet that breaks down their individual stuff facing each individual and, hitter. And I don't mean to cut you off, but I think what, what maybe fans don't understand is probably the, the, the multitude of information that you get from our guys, and there are dozens of people in our baseball operations office that put together these reports. How much do you have to slim down so it's in kind of manageable morsels for our, for our pitchers and catchers to understand? When I was first brought over into the organization, my role as assistant pitching coach was to be the liaison between all the information that comes from the front office to the players and coaches in the major league clubhouse and try to kind of filter out what is and what is not usable at game speed because having all the information is great but Mm -hmm. what can we actually use in real time so my job coming in was to take all that information kind of survey to see what everybody in the clubhouse wanted and kind of take it from there and filter out dummy it down if you will so now it's very concise precise what what exactly what each guy wants every day 
to know about the hitters, but that's what got me over here in the first place. You brushed by the point what each guy needs every day, but everybody's different. Do some guys want more information than other guys, oh, player-wise? Abso- absolutely. There are some guys that they will come and ask me if I don't have it sitting on their chair when they walk in. You know, I'll, I'll get the question, Stan, where's my sheet? Uh, there are others that whenever I hand it to them, they're good. And uh, they, uh, they all like it. They all want it. They all look at it. But the good thing is most of it revolves around what their strengths are. So um, the, the hitting reports that, that I give them about each guy uh, really kind of plays to their strengths. Jamie, Jamie Nelson also, as we said, works with the catchers. But we also know you work a little bit with the hitters as well, certain group of hitters. But uh, take us through what your pregame responsibilities might be. And also I would imagine there's some in-game responsibilities now too with tunnels and everything else like that where you <laughs> might be able to have to get a few swings. The Rays use their bench as much as anybody in Major League Baseball, and so those guys have to stay ready and, and maybe be called upon to hit at any particular time during a game. Yes, we do. Uh, mine's completely different during spring training than it is during the season. I do the advanced as well on all the pitchers that we're going to face, and we try to get a pretty good idea, but not what he's throwing in this count or what he's throwing at unless a really high percentage. Um, we want our guys to really stay on the fastball pretty much and be ready to hit the fastball. But during spring training, I'm working with the catchers a lot. And we're trying to get them ready to, to catch nine innings right out of the chute. And I got to work with all of them just as hard just, just because you're only a foul tip away. During the season, you've got your pregame hitting. Then you have your BP. Then you have the lock-in session right before the game starts. And then in about the fifth inning, <clears throat> excuse me, depending on how we're doing and how they're, they're pitching, um, I, I take the extra guys in and we start getting loose in case we're going to pinch hit. As, as you just mentioned, that's what we do frequently. So when does your day ever end? I mean, when you think about it, if you're always advancing and always thinking about what's coming up next, the, the line that baseball is not a sprint, it's a marathon. But I've always thought it was just a very long sprint. I mean, you you got to keep going. you got to keep pushing every day. So does your day end when you leave the ballpark or are you still going over information thinking about the next day? The prior day? No, it ends with the last out, and then obviously we go into the coach's office and we talk about it a little bit, but um, I mainly start the preparation the next day. And like Stosh said here, um, we, we prepare at least a series ahead and try to get the rotation, get all the bullpen, and um, it's really nice when some of these teams maintain their bullpen so you don't have to keep doing it, but yet you still have to check on what they're doing currently. Somebody might change pitches or come up with a new pitch. But um, I, I always start at least a series ahead. Um, and I, if, if we have to do anything, if a guy gets sent up, then I'll do some homework on him that day. Jamie, when you, you look at the situation here in spring training, a lot of people are talking about, well, where are the question marks? And, you know, I know we're talking about outfield maybe being a little overloaded right now, first base maybe being a little overloaded. But there, there's some question about behind the plate. Kirk Casale did a lot of nice things in an abbreviated time for us last year, and a lot of people seem to be penciling him in as one of the guys who's going to come up north with us uh, an hour and a half to uh, uh, St. Petersburg. But the, the question is about a guy like Rene Rivera, who came in here last year as the guy who was going to be our everyday guy after a great season with the San Diego Padres, and it just really didn't want to work out for him, especially next to the plate. And then we also brought in Hank Conger, who we know can hit a little bit. We've watched him in his days with the Angels and also with the Astros, and we know he can handle a pitching staff pretty well, but the question is about his throwing. How's that all playing out, and, and what have you been able to gather from the way that these three guys have performed up until March the 3rd? How, how, they, how they handle this competition? Well, so far, 
all three of them are just working their tail off. I can't say enough about the way they've gone about things. You look at Renee and his body and what he's done, the transition he's done, and, and the shape he's in. Just starting to see uh, Hank Conger live for the first time beyond bi- video and some of the games that when we played against him. But these guys are working their fannies off. Um, I, can't, I can't say enough about it. Um, you said, how is it playing out? It still has to play out. So these games will tell. These guys will get a lot of reps. We're going to see what areas they've improved in and how they can help us. It's, it's going to be a tough dis- decision, but I think across the board we have some unbelievably good dilemmas. It sure seems like Kurt Casale had a breakthrough last year when the ball really started to fly off of his bat while he was maintaining the things he was doing behind the plate defensively. And uh, and yet I feel cheated because he got hurt towards the stretch. We never got a chance to see that continue on. It looked like it was starting to happen, and then the hamstring was happening, and <clears throat> he never really could, could come back you know, to real form last year. What's the next step for him? And do you think he'll be able to carry over what he started to do last year into this year? I have confidence in him. Um, he just has to be consistent at what he's doing, have consistent at bats. I think he has improved immensely as a defensive catcher. He's a cerebral guy, so he takes what Stan gives him and he takes it into the game, and, and I believe he, he calls a very good game. He works with the pitchers extremely well, um, and I just I think his game's improving and continuing to improve, and, and the good thing is he's healthy right now. And, and he's working his tail off to get better. You know him as a catcher and as a hitter. What led to the breakthrough offensively last year for him? I just think he got an opportunity. He got an opportunity to play every day. They start slotting him in there, and he started playing. He got hot. The confidence just flew off the charts. And um, he felt pretty good about himself. He felt sexy. And he continued to improve behind the plate. He's thrown the ball well. And I really believe that the, the pitchers genuinely like to throw to him. What about that we've been hearing? It sometimes is just as simple as swing a little bit harder. I mean, is that over? I'm sure that's oversimplifying it. But it sounds like from his standpoint that he was using some of his strength finally that he maybe he wasn't using so much before. I, I believe that's ac- absolutely accurate. He, he, he started putting a little more juice in the ball. And he's a big man. He's yeah. a big, strong man. And he didn't hit like that prior to. And both Shelty and I were saying, hey, you got to get that head out. And Shelty was really, really getting on him to get him to keep from just flailing balls over the right field. If you're going to hit it that way, let's, let's, I mean, drive the ball, get the head out and drive the ball. And he bought into it and he worked hard and he, he executed in the game. And, and that's what leads to success and, and a lot of confidence. I just have to try to figure out a way to get Kurt Casale and sexy into a broadcast. <laughs> now that you've mentioned <laughs> it here in the spring. And I'm, that's going to be my goal for the uh, 2016 season to see if I can mix that in. I think we isolate that soundbite and play it when he comes to the plate. <laughs> Indeed. With the uh, Rays coaches Jamie Nelson and Stan Borowski, I'm Dave Wills with Andy Freed. Again, we are broadcasting from outside the Tiki Hut. Our countdown to opening day show here is in uh, Charlotte County today. And, uh, Stan, let's continue maybe with the question marks. A lot of people wondering about the bullpen coming into this season. We saw Jake McGee move along. And uh, Jake McGee can make a lot of managers and a lot of bullpen coaches look good when you bring in a guy that's throwing 97, 98 and putting that fastball wherever you wanted it. Uh, you know, I know it became a little bit of a thing uh, where, you know, here, people said maybe we overused our bullpen. Uh, you saw the numbers. You know the numbers. They, they matched up to probably the year before, so it was more of a thing maybe made up by us in the media than it was probably what's going on in the field. But over the the the, the, the sound of the leaf blower here as they uh, do a little work at the Charlotte Sports Park, give us some of your thoughts as to uh, – 
how this bullpen might shape up and who are the guys that uh, you're kind of looking to maybe I don't know if take the next step is the right way to put it but to be a big part of it because there is a big some big shoes to fill of Jake McGee yeah there were a lot of nights when Jake McGee made me look really smart but with him moving on we're going to go to the next guy uh, with Boxberger he led the American League in saves last year and we don't see any reason why one of our guys can't do the same thing is it going to be Boxberger again only time will tell that but with the emergence of Alex Colomay with the emergence of Andy Romero both making huge strides last season we're hoping that they're going to pick up where they left off Steve Gelt had a really good season I believe he led the team in appearances had a really solid season he's in the mix again we've added guys like Danny Farquhar we've added Ryan Webb we've brought in guys like uh, Dana Eveland who all are going to play a part in shaping the bullpen I'm sure there's some names I'm missing, but it's uh, similar to the catching situation. We have a lot of good arms down there, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Does Brad Boxberger's role change, not in the respect of, you know, we know he's probably going to have the ball in the ninth inning with a, with a, with a lead in a tight game, but last year there, there was McGee around him who had done that sort of thing before. Uh, there was Jepson for a while who had done that sort of thing before. Now, Boxy's stature is he's the guy that's done it before and maybe some of the younger guys will come to him is he ready for that sort of leadership role in the bullpen oh I believe it is when you look at the transition of his career you know he traded he came over here so he was the new guy he was kind of quiet uh, through the last couple of seasons he's been solid uh, he goes about his business he works hard the guys do come to him they watch what he does they watch how he does it and he's always open he wants to help he wants to help them uh, and he wants to help us win so yes i do believe he's ready to take that next step did it become kind of a thing about this whole overusing of the bullpen last year i mean you know i know it was talked about ad nauseum uh, on sports talk it seemed to be written about a lot in the paper i know andy and i ended up having to talk a lot about it because of that we tried we got answers from kevin about it matt silverman tried to supply us with numbers that showed it wasn't the case i mean you, you were there on a daily basis you saw uh, the amount of phone calls was it any different than previous years or or did it become a little bit more of a thing because of what was written and talked about I think a lot of it came about because of what was written and talked about there were a couple times where our, the starting pitcher was having a relatively solid game and a lot of teams would just keep them out there but when you look at how they got to where they were at in that point in the game it just made sense to go ahead and make some moves and having the quality arms that we have in the bullpen we are very confident on any given night that we can make moves right, left, and they're going to work out. And our guys are great. Our training staff is great. Our players are really good about taking care of themselves in between. They know how much to throw to get ready. They know how to go about their throwing programs on a daily basis to keep themselves fresh. So, With that being said, though, I know we've talked to Matt a little bit and Kevin. You guys are looking to make a little bit of an adjustment, though, to maybe not just have just one inning guys. You're hoping to maybe get guys and go four or five, maybe even six outs so that you're not using the same four guys on a daily basis. I mean, winning can wear out a bullpen. We know that. We've watched that happen. Uh, you know, Andrew Bellotti's a guy that can be a multi-inning game. We even saw over the last couple of days a couple of guys go out there and give us multiple innings. Is that something you're going to be looking for to have at least one or two guys in that pen, maybe even three guys who can give you multiple innings and appearances as opposed to just one and done? Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, do not be surprised this season when guys run out there for – four, five, six outs at a time. There's no question that that's going to be a bigger part of what we do this year. I want you to take us behind the scenes as we're visiting with Stan Borowski, Braves bullpen coach, and Jamie Nelson, uh, major league coach, but we know he works for the catchers and the hitters also. Take us behind the scenes 
of meetings with Kevin Cash, with your whole crew. Because when you guys get together, I am sure that there are spirited conversations and disagreements sometimes. Uh, and decisions and, and forward thought sometimes comes out of that. What is it like behind the scenes when you guys all get together to discuss, say, the issue of the day? Uh, I think the one thing that Kevin, Kevin is a very humble person. Um, and he draws off of our experience. First of all, we've been in this organization longer than he has, and so we have experience with it. But he's, he's not afraid to ask you what you think, uh, for me in my area, with, with either the catching or the hitting. Um, and, and it makes you feel good. It makes you feel a part of it. But he'll, he's, he's acquiring information and always trying to get some kind of information out of you or what you think. And he knows or at least he makes you think that he doesn't have all the answers. So everybody in the room is important, and he'll draw from their experience or their ideas and then morph it into his own and, and come up with what he feels is the best decision. How different, if any, if any is, is spring training this year as opposed to maybe the way it was last year? Because, you know, again, we, we had such, for such a stable franchise to have such changeover in one year. When you lose the general manager, you lose the manager. Now you've got a new guy in charge of baseball ops. You've got a new guy that's in charge of baseball uh, on the field and, and a manager in Kevin Cash. Stash, how different has it been or has it been different at all from last year to this year? Does everybody seem to be kind of more just, all right, now we're back to being settled and this is the way it was before every, all the upheaval? Does it feel like that as opposed to maybe last year was just kind of a little transition season? Well, there's no question when you bring new people in at the positions that they were brought in at, and obviously we did not bring in a new general manager with Matt taking over a lot of that, a lot of those roles and Heim and Eric and uh, moving in. But with Kevin coming into the clubhouse and running the team and kind of being that face of the franchise, you never know exactly how it's going to go until you actually get there and it gets going. But he has been great in the transition because a lot of us were already here. And for him to be the new guy, uh, he didn't come in and look to change things right away. We had a nice product rolling. We have been successful doing what we were doing before. And he came in and just he wanted to learn more about how we do things and why we do things and why and how has it been successful and how can we continue that going as opposed to I'm the new manager, this is what I think, and this is what I'm going to do. And it's been a tremendous fit, I believe, for everybody. And for the players. I mean, Nelly, I mean, what's your thoughts? What's the vibe like for wow. the players? I know it's March 3rd, but... What's the vibe like maybe from last year to this year? And, and I know there's some, some high hopes here. I mean, people have picked this team to maybe win it. Other team, other people think it's not so good, but it's all over the place. But I get the feel that in camp, these guys feel pretty good about what this team could possibly it, do. It's night and day. It's night and day. I mean, the, the package we've assembled now and the people that we've acquired, um, when, when they're in that clubhouse and walking on the field, just, just through our drill work, all the stuff we've been doing, you can see the confidence of knowing that the guy next to him now, I, I mean, it's, it's no longer just my job. i got to beat this guy out. There's competition all across the board. Um, and the people that we've acquired, not only position players, but some of the pitching depth that we've acquired, we see that. The players see it, and you can see just that confidence and that vibe oozing out of there. It's permeating throughout the clubhouse. When they get on the field, it's like, we're walking with some swag already, and it, it's really cool to watch. Final thought. When you see Corey Dickerson hit the ball today, they went straight up in the air and never seemed to want to come down. Does that whet your appetite for what this season could be for the race? Chills? I got chills, buddy. I got chills on a couple balls that came off the bat today. It was uh, the best thing I can do is stay out of the way. 
Let them hit, man. It's good to get chills as opposed to yawns. And I think, that, you know, again, there's been a few of those over the last few years. But, you know, I was going to ask Stosh because I, I don't know if you got to look at it because our bullpen's a right. little more covered. But Stosh was the guy that sold me. I don't know. Again, we go back to game 162 of 2013. And when Dan Johnson came up in the bottom of the ninth with two outs and two strikes against him, he hit that home run down the right field line. And it went, went into an area where I really wasn't 100% sure if it went out. But then I saw Stash, who was standing in the bullpen at the time, and he threw his arms up like this, and I said, it's gone! It's gone! <laughs> I mean, did you get a chance to see? Were you able to pick up uh, Corey's fly ball today at all? I mean, uh, it, it went way, way over your head, too, by the time it landed. Well, we saw it come off the bat. Then we lost it for about 30 seconds or so. And then we saw some fans kind of start to move back where they thought it might be coming down. But they started moving back further and further against the back wall, they ran out of room. Then one guy climbed the steps to try to reach over, and he almost fell. And if they would have climbed on top of the roof and went to the backside of the roof, they still would have had to be careful about falling over off the building. So It's amazing. That's exactly how Neil Solon's called a home run <laughs> on Ray's radio today on, on, on Ray'sBaseball.com. It's impressive. You must have been listening. But, guys, thanks again for taking the time to join us. We really appreciate it. Two guys that, again, uh, don't really get the, uh, the, the just service that they deserve for the job they do behind the scenes and out front, again, with this race team. Big, big parts of the race coaching staff and the success of this team. Thank you so much, guys, and we will see you pretty much every day here in 2016. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having us. With Dave Wills, I'm Andy Freed. We are at the Tiki Hut on, out in left center field at Charlotte Sports Park. The Rays beat the Orioles today 10-3. to When we come back, we'll bring in Neil Solons and wrap up this show for this Thursday night. We're counting down to opening day on 620 WDAE and the Rays Radio Network. See the Rays this spring by getting your spring training three-pack. Get great savings and select from games against the Red Sox, Yankees, and more. RaysBaseball.com slash spring or call 888-FAN-RAYS raise up well again we thank uh, stash and nelly for joining us here part of the Rays coaching staff also thanks to uh, brad miller for taking the time and now it's time to bring in neil solons and once again i did not get the memo to wear the same outfit as uh, andy freed and neil solons did luckily this is on radio i probably should have said i was wearing the same thing but i'm not but uh, nonetheless why don't you guys just take it away since i don't seem to be part of the group anymore. how often does this happen a ridiculous Dude. amount where we're wearing identical outfits it is way too much why is that and we didn't even ask each other <laughs> we didn't know we share a brain but anyway your thoughts a uh, couple of games in and i know you, you've been down here a little bit more. He does all the heavy lifting, folks. Neil's down here a lot more than we are. But uh, your thoughts on the early going here of this uh, race camp? You know, I, I thought what uh, Stan and, and Jimmy Nelson touched on in terms of the depth and the competition is what has stood out to me. Um, you know, even though there are a lot of bullpen decisions to be made and roles, I, I see more guys who, as the year progresses, I think can really be projectable arms in the bullpen. I see a lot more physicality of some of the arms that we now have in the system. We've talked about that a lot, about how important that is. Those are some of the things that have jumped out in the first couple weeks. Since when can guys that are 5'9", 5'10", throw as hard as they do? Even today, Farquhar mm -hmm. and Geltz and Schultz, I mean, they're, those guys were lighting up the radar gun, and yet they uh, couldn't start on a basketball team, I know that. <laughs> at, least, at least over six feet. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's unusual, and, and um, you know, I talked with Jamie Schultz a little bit about just the fact that he's 5'10 and a starter. And he said there have been scouts from other teams that have come up to him and said, we wanted to take you, or I wish we took you, but my team wouldn't allow to take you. And, and wishing him luck and hoping that – and the Rays have kind of bucked the, the tradition of what a starter has to be. You have a Jake Faria and a 
Blake Snell, who is 6'4", 6'5", and you got a Jamie Schultz on the other side of the spectrum. One of my favorite things about baseball. It doesn't mm-hmm. really matter what you're saying. You know, but they, they do have to get that downward uh, plane going. If they, you know, again, it doesn't matter how, how fast you throw it. If you throw it kind of flat up there, it's going to get hit and hit hard. But I think uh, back to a lot of guys who have been, uh, you know, has had successful careers, mainly more so out of the bullpen than his starters yep. at 5'10". Cliff Polite and, uh, um, you know, uh, Fraser, Jason Fraser yeah. come to mind right away as guys that are 5'8", five, 5'9", five, bring it in the mid to upper 90s, but they get a little downward plane and they use that mound to their to their ability to, to be able to get that downward plane. But guy, those, those types of starters are really few and far between. Yeah, the Roy Oswalds of the world. I mean, I, I still consider him, I think he was under six foot, at mm-hmm. least, you know, from what I saw. And... Well, Pedro Martinez was slight of build. Um, he wasn't that tall either. And so I, I, 5'10 is certainly doable, I think. Well, Neil is down here first uh, of our crew and, and starts collecting uh, great interviews. And we invite you to go to RaysBaseball.com and uh, at Rays Radio on Twitter because uh, you get a chance to really meet these guys. And who are some of the personalities early on? Uh, and by the way, those interviews are all archived. You can go back and really kind of hear the stories and the personalities of some of the guys that will be with us and maybe we'll be with us in the future uh they're certainly with us for now who are some of the personalities so far that stand out in this camp uh, i think taylor Motter is a guy who stands out in terms of his his overall personality i think he's a real character um and i think people are going to enjoy getting to know him and he you know we always talk about energy guys i think he's an energy guy um jeff decker who had a good game today um i have not had a chance to do an interview that we've put on there but i think he's a real interesting story and an energy guy too uh those are among the position players um, and I think, you know, uh, among the pitchers, you know, I, I find Blake Snell to be a, a pretty good character, and the same with Jake Faria. You know, they're 40-man guys, but I, I think they all have a real good personality to them. And we talked to Brad Miller earlier in the show, yeah. and you got a feel for him yeah. as well, a local, kind of a local kid, an Orlando guy that uh, I think, again, could make a big splash with this team. A reminder, get your whole team in on the action when the Rays kick off this 2016 spring season here in Charlotte uh, County. As again, groups of 15 or more are perfect for employees, friends, or family. You can receive a discounted price on tickets. Visit RaysBaseball.com slash spring or call 888-FAN-RAYS. Raise up. Well, you had your first RaysBaseball.com broadcast today. Andy and I will be back on the air on Saturday and Sunday. And then when's your next uh, uh, internet broadcast? Wednesday against the Blue Jays. Well, we look forward to hearing those. You work with Doug Wechter and also going to be mixing in, once again, Andy Sonnenstein. So uh, a couple of pitchers up in the booth with you as well. Looking forward to it. Thank you. A lot of fun. Indeed. And lots to come up uh, on the docket. Uh, Tomorrow the Rays are going to be in Fort Myers taking on the Red Sox. Chris Archer, who for some reason has not yet been officially named opening day pitcher. (laughs) We're going to get that out of Kevin Cash yet. Uh, But that's tomorrow. And then Dave and I are back on the air. Saturday we'll be in Sarasota at night, a 7 o'clock game. And then Sunday we're back on the air. Uh, here, in fact, at Port Charlotte, uh, Charlotte uh, Sports Park, Sunday at 1 against the Minnesota Twins. So lots to come, 31 days until opening day, Dave Wills, and just so much to look forward to. And it was, again, thanks to the folks here in uh, the Tiki Hut who helped us uh, put together our first show here on Thursdays. We'll be broadcasting after the ball games here, so make sure you join us then. But, again, a great time, and uh, thank you guys for your hospitality. Appreciate it. And thanks to our number one fan, Roe, who came all the way from Arizona to join Andy, us here yep. on and Countdown. And Jane, don't forget about Jane. We put Jane to sleep, though. And J- Jane is now sleeping on the boardwalk uh, here at Charlotte Sports Park. But many thanks to our guest today, Brad Miller and uh, Stan Borowski and also Jamie Nelson. And i got to do the credits here from from uh, from memory. The executive producer of Race Baseball is Lyra McCabe. Uh, it was produced today by Chris Miller, Lauda Ospina, Jordan Caballelis, and Jesse Feldman. 
And who am I leaving out? Engineered by Chris Miller. And engineered by Chris Miller, who Brian Allward is our engineer back at the studio. Brian Allward. Yes, so I'll do it by memory correctly one day. And Solons and you and me. And And now for him and for him, I'm me. I'm Andy Freed along with Dave Wills and Neil Solons. Thank you. This has been Countdown to Opening Day on your home for Rays Baseball, 620 WDAE and the Rays Radio Network.